over those last three, four weeks, we have been looking at recognized servant leadership. We've been looking at leadership within the body of Christ, and uh, specifically within this congregation here. It's not a particularly evangelistic sermon. That doesn't mean it's not important. The congregation goes the way the leadership goes. Yes, we've been talking about that over the last several weeks. So this is important things that we're going to be talking about. And we're going to be looking at some things that Paul tells us. Now, when you stop and you think about Paul, outside of Jesus Christ himself, Paul is the most respected teacher, preacher, leader that the church will ever have. We learn from him all the time, from his writings, from the advice that he gives on godly living. 13 of the 27 books in the New Testament are directly attributable to Paul. 14, if you happen to think Hebrews was written by him. Paul's ministry dominates 20 of the 28 chapters of the book of Acts. And his wisdom, his grasp of the Old Testament as it applies to the life of Jesus Christ is unparalleled in Scripture. Like Christ, Paul invested in training disciples. Now you think about Christ. Christ proclaimed the kingdom of God to thousands He was followed by a group of 120, and out of that 120, there was a closer group of the 12 that we call the disciples, and inside of that, he invested himself into three of them. Now, you think about Paul. Paul, in his missionary journeys, he proclaimed Christ to thousands throughout Judea, Asia Minor, Greek, Southern Europe, Italy. And he was followed by a a tight group of disciples. You may have seen and know some of their names. Aristarchus, Barnabas, Eurastus, John Mark, Luke, Onesimus, Silas, to mention a few. And Paul invested in three of them in particular. Tychicus, Titus, and Timothy. And all three of those continued to carry out Paul's work and instruction in different places. We have letters that Paul wrote to two of them, writing to Titus and to Timothy. You see, Paul invested himself in those who would lead after him. Reading 2 Timothy, it's fair to say that in that letter, Paul is actually passing on the mantle to Timothy to continue his work. Both Timothy and Titus were trained and tested and experienced servant leaders before Paul gave them the responsibility of selecting servant leadership 
in Ephesus and on the island of Crete. Timothy had previous assignments in Thessalonica and in Corinth and in Philippi before going to Ephesus. And Titus had assignments at least twice in Corinth before he was left there on the island of Crete. So Paul is really a great example. Paul shows us that servant leadership should be trained and it should be recognized. Timothy and Titus respected, trusted, and experienced. Both of them relatively young, more than likely in their in their 30s. Yet their assignments are quite different. Titus' assignment was to establish leadership in a new congregation. When Paul was released from prison in Rome, which is that prison time that we see in Acts 28, he continued his ministry and going back to the island of Crete, uh, preaching, he established a new congregation there and then he moved northward towards Macedonia, leaving Titus to finish what he had begun with that congregation there. As he moved through Ephesus, Paul most likely removed Hymenaeus and Alexander from their leadership roles. We read about them in 1 Timothy 1.20. Leaving there, Paul assigned Timothy to straighten out heresy that had crept in among the Ephesian congregation. Over in Acts 19, we see Paul establishing that church there in Ephesus. And he even spent several years there working with that congregation as the church was growing. From what we see in Acts, Paul's practice, we talked about this last week, was to appoint leadership in the congregations that he planted. So, Paul had put the leaders in place who were causing issues. And Paul took on the responsibility to remove them as well. In Acts 20-29, we read about Paul speaking to the elders in Ephesus when he was on his way to Jerusalem knowing that he was going to be arrested. And Paul knew there was this growing issue that was stirring. And he knew that problem needed some serious intervention. In fact, you've read this before. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come among you. These wolves would rise in the leadership of that congregation. And it happened. Over in 2 Timothy 2, we read this, talking about the heresy. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them, Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have wandered away from the truth. 
They say that the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. We don't use that word gangrene very often, do we? But is there something that comes to your mind when you hear that word? Even though you may have never actually seen it, do you have an image that comes into your mind what that is? Death in the body, slowly eating the body away. It is, to me, one of the most gruesome metaphors in all of Scripture. And you think about what it is that they were saying. When they're talking to here about the resurrection that already happened, he's not talking about Christ's resurrection. They're talking about those that were going to go to heaven. That those that were going to go had already gone. Which is another way of saying, and you've been left behind. There's also likely the idea of Gnosticism, which was rising in that first century and becoming a problem. And there's several different things that Paul and Peter and even Jude writes about this Gnostic problem. This idea that there is a special knowledge and having that special knowledge is what saves. In fact, what it taught was that if you didn't have this gnosis, this, this special problem, you would never go to heaven. But with this special knowledge, you will never be outside of heaven. So that if you have this special knowledge, what you do in the flesh doesn't matter. Because what gets saved is spirit. And with this knowledge, your spirit is pure. So you can be the most vile, immoral person in your body because your body doesn't matter and you're good to go. Does that sound like any part of the gospel message you've ever heard? Say no or no. No. Have you heard some people in your life who have said something like that? Yes or yes. But scripture tells us that living a godly life, living a life of lordship, living a crucified life for the one who gave his life for our life, What we do matters. It matters to others' eternity and it matters to our eternity. And I heard a couple of amens. I'll take some more. Amen? Amen. Between 2 Timothy 2.17 and 1 Timothy 1.20, there are three specific elders that are, are mentioned. Um by name that get called out 
In Timothy's assignment, we see in 1 Timothy 1.3, Paul writes, I urged you when I went to, into Macedonia to stay there in Ephesus so that you might, is command a strong word? Command certain men not to teach false doctrine, false teachings any longer. And in 1 Timothy 5.22, in this context, talking about a warning to Timothy, he says, do not be hasty in laying on of hands. Of what? Of appointing leadership. And do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Now, he's not talking about thinking that Timothy is going to go this direction where where, where he's going to say, what I do in the body doesn't matter. What he is saying is, watch out for those guys. Take them out and don't listen to them at all. Pretty direct stuff when you stop to think about it. You see, Paul's intention for Timothy, his instruction is quite clear. Stop the heresy and appoint replacements, and do that very carefully. So, if you're looking at the context of the guidelines that Paul gives Timothy in 1 Timothy 3, you're looking at the context of the guidelines that he gives Titus in 1 Timothy 1, those were given to help Timothy and Titus make wise choices for servant leaders and specifically for Timothy to replace heretical elders. Now, the issue in Ephesus comes as close to talking about the length of service of a recognized leader uh, as we really get in scripture but notice it's not based on age it's not based on an arbitrary number of years of service nor is it based on popular vote it's really based on are they fulfilling the function of spiritual leadership you see when a spiritual leader ceases to function in that role, they should step down or be removed by the other recognized servant leaders. Three criteria for removing a servant leader, and it all comes from Ephesus, it all comes from 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, there are three things that stick out that you can clearly point to. One is if that servant leader engages in gross immorality. If there is a moral failure. Two, they have a change in their doctrinal understanding. They start talking about Jesus, about God in a way that is... different 
from what we know God and Christ to be. And what we know God and Christ to be through time. God has been consistent since the beginning of time. He will remain consistent even past the point that we are here should the Lord tarry and shall tarry past our lives. Why? Because God never changes. Our understanding might adjust, but God will never say anything that is different, inconsistent with what he has already said. And where does he speak to us the most clearly? Through what? Through the Bible, through his spirit, through himself speaking to us through the Bible, okay? We're talking here, specifically when Paul is talking to uh, Timothy, we're talking about heresy. Yes? You with me? Okay. The other we just mentioned, they know are no longer actively functioning in the role of a servant leader. That could be lacking results. That could be sitting back and trying to get other people to do things they are not willing to lead them in doing. That could be treating a servant leadership function as a position of authority instead of as a function of service, probably that idea of lording over. Yes? Biblically, outside of this, recognized servant leaders should continue to lead. And we should continue to support them by making their lives easy by following their lead, by praying for them, by giving them over to be used by God. Okay, Eric, I've heard all of that. I know you're talking, Paul, Timothy, Titus, we get it. We've heard some of this before. Thanks for reminding me. Uh, But what does this have to do with us here at Oakland Drive Christian Church? Well, I come back to one of the principles that I talked about and I've said every single week since we started this series. What is biblical, we should continue to do. The Bible teaches that servant leaders should hold each other accountable in these three areas. And that is a non-negotiable. We should not have to wait for a vote in order for somebody who has broken one of those big three to be taken out of leadership. 
you may remember back in 2021 when we were talking about this, we started a leadership covenant, which in essence says if as a leader of this congregation, a recognized leader, an elder, a deacon, I break one of the big three, I am agreeing before I start in that position that I will willingly step down. Now, we have a provision in the bylaws that says the elders can ask for a resignation of a servant leader. That person doesn't have to step down. They can force it to come before you and for a vote. But do you know what that does? That will cause a split and a rift in a congregation. Do you believe that? Say yes or yes. That is what we're looking to avoid with that leadership covenant, okay? It actually fits perfectly with the bylaws. But we want to make a commitment to you. I have signed it. I was the first to sign it. We want to make a commitment to you that we realize that servant leadership within this congregation is so vitally important to the kingdom of God and to you as part of the kingdom of God that when we are not doing what we're supposed to do, we're going to step aside for somebody else to come into that position. Because you see, we're not lowering the bar, we're raising the bar. We're putting it where it ought to be. And anyone who comes into servant leadership as an elder or deacon will sign that covenant so you know they will not split this congregation. Fair? Okay. We as servant leaders, recognized servant leaders, have to hold ourselves accountable to lead you by example. And indeed, to bring this group into being a gospel-focused, actively recruiting, kingdom-growing, Jesus-focused, God-honoring, functioning body of disciple-making believers. Yes, we come together. Yes, we encourage each other. That is not our charge. Our charge is to make disciples. We want to strengthen disciples. We want to strengthen you to share Christ with others so the kingdom grows. By signing that covenant, the elders who put that in place 
and the deacons and the elders who have come into leadership since that point who have signed that covenant. We do that to willingly self-limit for the good of the gospel and for this congregation. Calling ourselves to a greater accountability to God and to each other and to you. And that is not taken lightly. There is a lot of prayer and study and introspection, self-examination, humility, and mutual trust that goes into making that commitment. Also, we need you to make sure that we are doing a thorough job when you are bringing, we are bringing new individuals into recognized servant leader roles by upping your involvement in our selection process. We must base our nominations on the biblical criterion. We must nominate those who are already functioning as servant leaders. Why is that? Because you can appoint somebody to a position, but you can't appoint them to a function. And honestly, elders should never be appointed. They should be recognized. Who is already somebody that has sheep? Shepherds have sheep. Who do you go to for wise biblical counsel? Who do you go to when you need prayer? Who do you go to when you're hurting? Who do you go to for understanding? These are the people that we need to raise up. The... Um, Nomination forms, they're not really changed from what we started using in 2021. We did break out the trustees into a separate form because there are portions of the form for elders and deacons that just don't apply to that role. Uh, we still want people of great moral character in the whole nine yards, okay? But their role is different. So we have a separate nomination for that. Um, but those forms are purposefully designed to help you make recommendations based on the biblical criteria. That is why it is not a checkoff sheet. That is why it says, tell us where you have seen this person functioning in a role. Doesn't mean that they can't learn, they don't need to learn, that they don't have things to go. But are they showing themselves already with their walk with the Lord to be the kind of person that we would want in recognized leadership. That's what it's designed to do. You may not answer every single question, but you need to fill it out completely to the best of your ability. 
December 3rd, we will close the nominations. I know there's um, nominations that are starting to come in. Before we get to the annual meeting, which is set for January 21st, there will be a couple of weeks when you will know ahead of time who has been nominated for the servant leader roles coming up for the next term. The time to voice your objections is when they will do the most good. That time to object is before they are brought to the group on the 21st for confirmation. That is when your voice will speak the loudest. If there is something that you know about somebody that is announced and is under consideration for recognized servant leadership, and you know of a biblically compelling reason why that person should not be considered, it is your responsibility to go to one of the elders or to come to me. I prefer you go to them and give us that reason so we can investigate it. And if it holds water, one person can stop that process for that nominee. You see what I'm saying? It's not your vote against 60 and they get in anyway. If you know of a biblically compelling reason, I'm not saying I don't like them. I don't like their haircut. Their beard's too short. Are you still listening? Okay, you, you hear what I'm saying, right? It's not a popularity thing. It's a kingdom thing. It's a spiritual thing. And I can tell you, we are not looking for perfect leaders. We are looking for striving leaders that know they're not perfect, but their eye is on Christ. Their eye is on the kingdom. You follow me? You with me? Okay. You may be thinking, well, what if something is discovered after they've been affirmed by the group and are already in a leadership role? Paul talks about that as well. In 1 Timothy 5, verse 19, we get this. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. Those who have sinned are to be rebuked publicly so that the others may take warning, which is probably why Paul named names when he named Hymenaeus and Philetus and Alexander. I charge you in the sight of God in Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and to do nothing out of favoritism. There you go. It's not about connections. It's not about a popular vote. Um, who are the witnesses that are mentioned here? I, I, I got three words for you. You know what they are? <laughs> I don't know. I got three more. But I suspect they are 
members of the congregation. In other words, yes, when it really comes down to it, if somebody refuses to step aside, it comes before you, just like our bylaws say. We just don't want it to get to that point. It could be that even other recognized servant leaders, maybe even outsiders who can speak cogently about somebody's character, that might be part of the witnesses as well. They all fit Paul's model for 1 Timothy 3.17. The principle is this. Anytime there's information that will call a servant leader's role into question, we, meaning us, the members of this congregation, owe it to this congregation and to Christ to bring that information forward. As the writer of Hebrews says, thirteen, seventeen, reminds us that recognized servant leaders have to lead as those who give an account. Now, when you look at this, you may be thinking uh, an accountability to God, and that's true, yet they also owe an accountability to you, the sheep of this pasture, this flock, this congregation. Because we are responsible to lead you into a greater depth of spiritual understanding and encourage you to work for Christ and so that you do not forget that lordship is a lifestyle. In 1 Timothy 5.21, there's this statement about do nothing out of favoritism. Look at it this way. We are all equal at the foot of the cross. In the body of Christ, we are equals before the Lord. We have different talents. We have different abilities. We have different skills. We have different spiritual gifting. And we all need to use those towards the glory of God. And we must hold each other accountable for doing just that. Serving God, introducing people to Christ, and changing eternity. One more, Hebrews 13, last chapter, as he comes to the end, the writer of Hebrews says, pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and a desire to live honorably in every way. And I can tell you, those who are in recognized servant leadership reflect that statement, but continue to pray for us. We're not perfect, but we are committed, and we need all the prayer we can get. Father God, We thank you for the blood of the cross that covers over sin, that covers over iniquity. Keep reminding us, Father, that we were bought with a price so that pride does not bubble up. 
and blind us from the relationship we're supposed to have in you that our own righteousness is only that that you have given through the blood of Christ. May we all humbly seek to spread your good news and to do it in the most effective way as we work to glorify you and grow your kingdom. For we know Christ is coming again. And when he does, we want to be found faithful. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.